Fashion freaking matters. It matters to the economy, to society, and to each of us personally. Faster than anything else, what we wear tells the story of who we are or who we want to be. Fashion is the most immediate and intimate form of self-expression. Now, that is actually from Francis Corner's Why Fashion Matters, albeit slightly ad-libbed by myself. But this quote in a nutshell is why I love fashion. My name is Annalise Days and welcome to Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? The eight-part series that is all about the F word. I talk about my 20 plus years working in the fashion industry, including my two-time brush with a certain reality show. I'll be your own personal hype girl, giving you practical advice on how to make it in fashion. Whether your runway is the kitchen, the office, or your local high street, I dish out my own dose of look good, feel good philosophy while discussing topics and dynamics that are super important to the fashion industry. Welcome to episode three of Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? And it's answering a question that I get a lot, so I kind of wanted to cover it early on in my podcast, and that is, how do I become a model? How do I start a modeling career? So here's my breakdown of how to get into the modeling industry. So most fashion models and supermodels, they always seem to have this story of being scouted at a young age. And I'm telling you, you really don't have to wait around for that to happen. I didn't. I definitely cover that in episode one of how I forced my way into the modeling industry. Um, But you can be active and find work and agencies yourself. All right. So you've decided to model. The first step Definitely images. There is no point trying to start a modeling career without some basic photos. And I'm definitely not talking professional, not shots that cost a lot of money, simple, basic shots that you can do at home. Back in the day day when I started my modeling career, I was taking photos using a disposable camera, uh, photo booths in supermarkets. So yeah, I'm not talking professional at all. So what kind of shots am I talking about here? I am talking simple AF, like a white background or a wall, not much going on at all. Simple styling. I would kind of suggest jeans and a white or black vest. Of course, um, a black bikini as well, just so they can see all the angles. Um, When it comes to makeup, no makeup really, or what I like to call no makeup makeup where it looks like you're not wearing makeup, but really, you know, you've concealed under the eyes a little bit of mascara to open them up a little. You know what I'm talking about. You want to get a variety of angles. So full length shots with both profiles, maybe backwards as well. Also do the same with mid shots and close ups, maybe turn to a slight angle to the right, slight angle to the left, basically covering all the angles. Um, You then want to get those printed, pop them into a folder or just save them into a file since you'll probably be sending most of them electronically anyways. So how do you get your simple yet fabulous shots to the right people? I mean, who even are the right people? I think it just depends on the avenue you want to take. But the most traditional route would be finding an agent. Now, no major city I know is short of modeling agency. Like there are loads of them. Which ones? How do you even know how to pick one out of a crowd? I think you've got to work out what kind of model you want to be fashion model, commercial, sports, maybe boutique, alternative, a hand model maybe? Whichever one you choose, I would simply start by searching on Googles for agencies in that arena in your area. Then there is always the dilemma of big established agencies versus smaller, newer agencies. I would just say keep your options open. Aim high, 
but be realistic. Make a list of your top 10. All right, so you've made your list. How do you actually go about approaching these agencies? Now, most of them, in fact, all of them, if they're a decent agency, are going to have a website. And on there, you can usually find an online form or an email address. I actually have been known to do both. Use the online form to submit the information and also send an email. In your email, definitely keep it short. Just a general introduction of who you are, um, your measurements and where you live, etc. However, I'm kind of old fashioned and I like to go in person on an open call. Most agencies will list their open call times on their website. And an open call is basically when an agency invites aspiring models or new models to their offices to check out their book, check them out in person and basically decide if they want to sign them or not. They can be pretty nerve wracking because you're walking into somebody else's space, basically asking them to kind of judge you, which can be a little bit scary. I would advise coming looking model-like, in inverted commas there. So again, keep it simple when it comes to the styling. So jeans, maybe a simple top. I definitely wouldn't go over-styled, which is something I always struggled with. And yeah, you can expect to see other models there as well, so be on guard. I would then repeat the process of attending open calls, sending emails, online forms with the top 10 on my list. It's all about persistence, you see. Like, you're going to get lots of no's. It's just inevitable. Um, I even used to try the same agencies, but at different times of the year. Maybe on different days of the week, even. It depends who's in charge, right? Some agencies I used to go to twice a year. But I think if you change your look quite often, I would say go more than that. After your top 10, well, pick a new top 10. Yeah, keep circulating until you get a yes. It is all about determination and persistence. And if you are getting lots of no's like I used to, well, there is lots you can be doing in the meantime. I mean, social media, Instagram. I know it's annoying, but it's very, very important, you see. Clients are actually looking for that. Um, agencies are as well. And even if you have a small following, I feel like when somebody clicks on your profile, they should be able to see that you want to be a model or that you are modeling. And if I can't see that, why not? Online portals are great if you're facing roadblocks or maybe you want to go it as a freelance model. Well, you can upload your profile to platforms like StarNow, Mandy.com, Casting Networks. These sites will list lots of different jobs and castings for different freelance models, presenters, actresses, etc. However, approach with caution. Yeah, these portals are definitely known for online scams and lots of dodgy stuff. But you can actually avoid this if you're smart because there are actually genuine opportunities out there. At the start of my career, I did find small jobs on there. Not big money jobs, but it was definitely more for the experience and new images. It can be a good place to find photographers that do TFP or time for prints which basically means that a photographer is willing to accept a time from a model in exchange for print photographs. But you definitely have to be careful. Never go alone, or at the very, very least, make sure that somebody knows exactly where you are. 
Um, I was in Miami when ANTM was airing and I set up lots of different shoots, some through some of these online portals. Some went really, really well. Some I did feel a bit of a dodgy vibe from and anytime it went left, I was like out of the door. I actually still have my Star Now profile today just to like see what's going on out there. Okay, let's go back. You have found an agency and they have said yes. Now what? Chill? Nope. An agency is definitely going to need more images. And the best way to do that is for them to set up a shoot. They call these test shoots. Now, this shoot is going to cost you. However, you have to remember that it's not going to cost you up front. They charge you later from work that the agency books you. There is obviously lots of talk about scam agencies and photographers, expensive photos while promising you a high-flying modelling career. But it's really important to note that expensive photos will not get you ahead in your modelling career. Don't do it. Any good agency should set you up with affordable professional photographers to grow your portfolio and your confidence. Then they'll start putting you forward for briefs and sending you to castings to attend. Back to a point I made earlier, time for print photographers can help you build your portfolio as well. But it can be a little bit hit and miss because sometimes your agency might not like the photos enough for them to pop them into your portfolio. But I will always stand by the fact that it still builds experience and confidence. And when it comes to learning how to pose and move in front of the camera, well, this to me is something you can only learn by doing it. There's no online courses for it. Like, of course, you can research just out of interest, maybe your favourite models and check out their behind the scenes footage. I do enjoy watching models pose. It is definitely an art form. Casting tips. Definitely keep it simple when it comes to hair, makeup, styling, etc., Turn up with your portfolio and your comp cards, which is provided for by your agency. And of course, a smile, honey. Try to dress for the brief. Always pay attention to the brief. It's really important because it will give you a good idea of what the client is looking for exactly. Like if I'm casting for a beauty brand, I'll tend to wear my hair back because it's all about the face. I would never go to a night casting wearing Adidas because that is like a surefire way to not get booked. If it's a fashion brand, dress for their style or on the opposite side, go for something plain and simple so they can envision their look for you. I personally always cast with my hair in my curly afro, which does take a bit of work as a black model, but I think that this style makes it easier for clients to see what they could actually do with my hair instead of guessing. All castings are slightly different. Some of them, you can be in the actual room for a really long time. Maybe sometimes it's short, different wait times, etc. But in essence, you're going to be in a room with the client, photographer, maybe the director or casting agent and a camera. They're going to ask you questions that you're going to have to answer right there on the spot. They'll maybe ask you to do what's required in like, let's say the advert, then take some photos and then you're out. Some castings, usually TV adverts, don't even look at your book, which can be so annoying when you've schlepped it across London. Things to remember about agencies. They actually work for you. Yes, I know it's crazy, right? Just remember that when you are feeling intimidated. Like, they wouldn't be open if they didn't get commission from their models booking jobs. 
I mean, I get it. It's kind of confusing when your agency actually pays you. But think about it. You actually pay them. It just happens to be before you get your money. I hope that made sense. How much commission? Well, it actually varies. Commission can be anything from 20% to 33% depending on the agency. You've got to remember that different agencies work differently for different models. And you can also switch agency if you're not happy. You're not bound to their contract. But you do have to remember to do it respectfully because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. I remember that I used to moan that my agency took 33%, only to find out that I didn't work as well with agencies that charge 25%. So it's all just relative. It kind of depends on the individual model. And let me just reinforce another point. You want to handle your agency with respect and honesty. I was able to leave my agency that I was with for like six, seven years. That was Zone Models. I then went to Milk Management for a year, mainly because they looked after influencers and talent as well as models, and I thought it'd be a good move for me. However, I noticed that I wasn't working as well as a model, and that's not Milk Management's fault. I just think I'm not the type of model that they tend to get booked. So, since it was respectfully, I went back to my old agency and that never would have been able to happen if it wasn't for my honesty. Now, I actually had to go back to this recording and add in a statement about self-tapes. Yeah, they are not my favourite thing. But since the pandemic, it does seem like there's been a shift from in-person castings to primarily doing self-tapes at home. This was great when we were unable to leave our houses and it gave models a way to reach clients and book jobs. But now it seems like the clients have figured out that getting models to do their own self-tapes instead of going into studios for castings, which can be quite expensive, is a way for them to save money and potentially time. So what exactly is a self-tape? Well, as you may have gathered, it's like filming your own casting at home. Your agent will send you through a self-tape request. It's really important that you read this information carefully because it will contain all the instructions, like the brief, what they would like you to film, any dialogue you need to learn, and practical instructions as well, like whether to film in landscape or portrait, how close to the camera, what lighting, etc. And if that wasn't enough, it will have all the forms you need to fill in, the photos you need to take, and how to upload your finished video and information. I mean, it's a lot. It's like now, models are expected to take on the roles of casting directors, producers, directors, light engineers, editors, and personal assistants. I personally feel that these self-tape requests are asking more and more. I've been asked to film outside next to my car, bird's eye view shots of my bed, complicated scenes with different angles that involve having lots of space to film in. It's like, do they realise how hard it is to film a full-length walking shot in landscape in my bedroom? They've forgotten that we're just models filming in our humble homes. This leads me back to the importance of utilising your social media platforms. If clients are less likely to see you in person, then they are more likely to be checking out your pages to get a deeper sense of your personality. So don't forget that potential clients are always watching. 
I also mentioned before that there's no courses to help you learn how to pose. I take it back. Just search posing tips on TikTok or Instagram and you'll be inundated with videos giving you tips and tricks on how to look your best in a photo. My personal fave has got to be photographer David Sue. He blew up on TikTok and you should definitely check him out. Wow, that was definitely longer than I thought it was going to be. Please do let me know if you have any questions or if I missed anything out. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. So, of course, I've got another fashion flashback for you. And this time we're learning about the history of the miniskirt. Now, to qualify as a miniskirt, the hemline must be about mid-thigh, normally no longer than four inches below the buttocks. You know I had to measure this right, and I thought it was pretty reasonable, actually. Now, short skirts have existed for a long time. They just weren't named or recognised as miniskirts until some disputed point in the 1960s. They were first identified by archaeologists and historians who found miniskirt-like garments around 1390 BCE. And in the 1920s, of course, gorgeous Josephine Baker used to wear short skirts all the time, but they were mainly only seen in science fiction films and were used to portray futuristic women. So let's talk about the 1960s when miniskirts were en route to get their name. There was this store on London's Oxford Street that noticed a positive response to raising hemlines one inch above the knee. Just one inch, how tantalising. So yes, indeed, the miniskirt as we know it today is seen as being British. It makes a lot of sense when you think about it. 60s, 70s, Austin Powers vibes. There's actually a few names that get thrown into the mix when it comes to the big old dispute of who created the miniskirt. Mary Quant is one of them, British London-based designer, along with British designer John Bates and French designer Andres Correz who claims he invented it, but Mary Quant just commercialised it. Either way, Mary Quant, well, she rolled with it. She even took claim of the name, saying that she named it after her favourite make of car, the Mini Cooper. Anyway, hemlines gradually got shorter, and in the summer of 1962, women wearing short skirts were referred to as Yaya girls, who wore Yaya skirts. This term came from a then-popular British catcall. Yaya? Commenting on the Yaya, the curator of the costume department in the London's V&A Museum said, This fashion emphasises that women are seeking a matriarchal state, that they desire to grip and hold men's attention and gain their subjection. Not since the days of bare bosoms have women been so studiedly carefree in their clothing. From 1966, the legs were out albeit with the addition of coloured tights. You know that look from the swinging 60s. The miniskirt was able to grow from street fashion to major international trend. However, the trend was not embraced by everyone. Some European countries actually banned miniskirts in public because they thought it was an invitation to rapists. And Africa, as a whole nation, was not feeling the miniskirt. State governments saw them as un-African and part of the corrupting influence from the West. But let's be specific. In 1968, the Tanzanian government launched Operation Vigina? No, that is literally what it says. V-I-J-A-N-A. Vigina? Anyway, this was a morality campaign targeting indecent clothing, which led to attacks on women who wore miniskirts. 
In Ethiopia, attacks of this sort triggered riots, and Kamuzu Banda, president of Malawi, described miniskirts as a diabolical fashion which must disappear from the country once and for all. It's also reported that Kenneth Kayunda, president of Zambia, cited apartheid and miniskirts as his two primary hates. Well, damn. Taking it back to Britain in the mid-1970s, longer styles of skirts came into fashion. And that's mainly because, well, the miniskirt couldn't get any shorter. But of course, leave it up to Vivian Westwood, who brought back her version of the miniskirt in the 1980s, which kind of looked like a mini puffball skirt. From there, miniskirts started to get incorporated into workwear. Think like miniskirt with a blazer, very Ally McBeal. In 2003, Tom Ford stated that the micro-mini would be the height of fashion for spring-summer, and this led to an even briefer version, the belt skirt. Now, this was 20 years ago, but today, the belt skirt and other micro-minis are very much still on international catwalks. I know that Diesel have a version of the belt skirt that has been creating some major hype and controversy. But I tell you what, the belt skirt is not for me. Nope, nope, nope. Me personally, I need to have my cooch covered. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? I really hope that you enjoyed it and that I answered all your questions that you may have about getting into the modeling industry. If not, you can always reach out. Please do subscribe to my podcast. I've got lots more fashion topics to get into. And don't forget to tell a friend, share the love, and I'll be back soon. 